Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that you would please bless us now as we come and reason together. We need your Holy Spirit to guide and lead us. And so, Father, we ask that you would please help us to tune our ears to you through the Holy Spirit. And, Father, we ask that you would bless us now. We want to vindicate your name in our lives. And, Father, we want to kick the devil to the curb, as it were. I pray that you would please bless us now with your presence. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, I have the daunting task of trying to squeeze 12 hours into what I thought might be three or four tonight, but now I've been told it's going to be a wee bit over two. So now we're going to squeeze it down even more. I'm almost hesitant to share only a certain portion with you. The reason being, we made the music seminar as short as we could, and the shortest we felt it did service uh, for God's people was 12 hours. So we're really going to take and squeeze actually about 10, because I gave you a little over an hour this morning and a little bit over an hour last night. We're going to take about 10 remaining hours and squeeze it into two. So, as I've said before, I'm going to talk fast, so that means you have to listen fast, amen? The good news is you can listen a lot faster than I can talk. That's just a a known uh, scientific reality. Um, This morning, this afternoon's message is simply titled Music Overview. And I was hoping to dive deep into, if we had more time, into the whole worship side of music. But it looks as though we may not be able to get deep into that. So I'll share with you what I can. If we move right along and we have time, I'll stop. We'll boot up for the second message and we'll go on, okay? So as I am speaking, one of my friends, brother Randy Skeet, would say, I want you to pray, Lord, put your words in his mouth. Have you ever heard him say that? I love that. I was with him. He and I were at a youth convention in Guyana, and we spent and housed together for a little over a week. And uh, we loved our time together. The Lord blessed. And he always said, pray. You know, he's got this great voice, right? Not like a little one like me. But he's got this great voice. And he said, pray, Lord. Pray that, Lord, put your words in that man's mouth. And so I would like you to pray that for me as that comes to your mind as we move along. Lord, put your words in that man's mouth. There are two basic questions that we're going to look at today. Um, And this is what we're basically going to answer. And like I said, this one's simply called Music Overview. So the questions that we need to ask today and that we're going to work on answering, and there's many more that we talk about in the series, but the first question is, is music moral or amoral? Now, is music moral or amoral? That's the question. Is it moral, yes or no? Is it amoral, yes or no? Some, I heard some yeses and I heard some noes. And that's good that we're in mixed company because each one of us can hopefully learn something today. The reality is, as you will see, music is very moral or immoral. It's not amoral. In other words, of no moral weight or value or impact. So we will tread along here. We're going to try to answer this. The next question we're going to answer is, is it the lyrics or the music bed that matters most? Most people will say it's the lyrical content. Some people will say it's the musical content. 
And the reality is, it's yes and yes. Both matter. The reality is, as you'll see as we move along, music itself, just the music bed, has an entire language to it, no matter what the lyrical content says. So we'll move through that. Let's start off with a very famous singer. Her name is Sandy Patty. And uh, she was really big in the 80s and 90s. And she's not so big now, but she's still well known even by the younger crowds. Here's what Sandy Patty talks, what she says about music. Music is a very powerful force. It has a way of breaking down barriers. Is she right? You better believe it. But a lot of artists are taking that very powerful tool and putting negative, horrible lyrics to it. And those lyrics are getting into the hearts of the listeners and are shaping their values. Is she right? Yes. yes. Reading on. Why can't we, for example, contemporary Christian musicians, take that same powerful force music, put positive lyrics to it, and begin shaping values that way? Amen. Now, is there anything wrong with what she said? She's nothing wrong with it, but she's leaving some things out. She didn't talk at all about the music bed. Because the reality is, in her thinking, she can have any music bed that she wants as long as the lyrical content is okay. Here's another, he was a, quite a famous uh, singer uh, in the Christian world, David Meese. Uh, basically, you have to focus on what the lyrics and the song is saying. That is my criteria to decide whether the song is right or wrong. It has nothing to do with the music style. It has to do with the lyrics, what the song is saying. What are the words saying? As Christians, we can objectively judge it from that standpoint. This is the mantra in contemporary Christian music everywhere you go. I happen to interview and talk with and even hang out with quite a few different Christians from different denominations. I'm not sectarian. I'm not exclusive to Adventists only. And as I spend time and rub elbows with these different brothers and sisters in different denominations, this is the mantra. It doesn't matter what the lyrical, excuse me, what the musical content is, only the lyrical content. Friends, it's quite dangerous water to believe that. Professor Marshall McLuhan. Now, McLuhan's work is viewed as one of the cornerstone studies of media. It really revolutionized the thinking back in the 70s and 80s. He was a professor, a philosopher, and a scholar, and it's interesting what he said about music. The medium is the message. That is to say, the music, its melody, harmony, and rhythm, all by itself disposes a man to virtue or vice by moving the emotions. This is a key point. Now, is it wrong for a song to move our emotions? Absolutely not. But the fact that it can move our emotions, we do need to be careful with it because we could move them in an inappropriate way as a Christian. Therefore, the way in which they move the passions, the melody, the harmony, and the rhythm, should serve as a principal basis for judgment on whether any given piece of music is good or bad. It's a great explanation. It still falls short. So the reality is, if a song, for I'll give you an example. A dear friend of mine asked me to sing a beautiful hymn at her mother's funeral. 
I had sung the hymn before. She liked me singing it. After the funeral, that song now has so much emotion attached to it because it's now attached to her mother's funeral that it's become a stumbling block for her. There's nothing wrong with the lyrical content, nothing wrong with the music and the melody and the piano that was being played or the vocal performance of it. It was all okay and acceptable, but now there was a deep emotion tied to it. So a song that might be just fine for most of us could be a stumbling block for somebody else. So it's very hard to categorically say all of this is okay and all of that is not okay. Now some, in some cases, we can do that and you'll see that as we progress. But in other areas, we have to be sensitive with those around us. Does that make sense? Excellent. And can we turn off our cell phones for two hours? Amen? Unless you're on call as a physician or as a medical professional, you can keep yours on because you are about a righteous work for today, even on the Sabbath. Otherwise, it can wait. Amen? Amen. Come on now. You don't need to know about what the score of the game was. All right, moving on. Brain specialist, Dr. Richard Pellegrino, he declared that music had the uncanny power to trigger a flood of human emotions. Is that true? Oh, wow. And images that have the ability to instantaneously produce very powerful changes in emotional states. He's saying music is so powerful, it can give us emotion and images instantly. Amazing. It's true. You've all experienced that. Take it from a brain guy, he says. In 25 years of working with the brain, I still cannot affect a person's state of mind the way that one simple song can. Isn't that amazing? In fact, some of the newest uh, research out there, some of the most recent, with people that work with the mind, psychologists, they will actually even play certain kinds of music during the session knowing their patient's history and what's going on in the patient's heart and their mind and their thinking and the sessions are far more productive. They're using music as medicine. Love it. Now, can music alone influence the listener? We're going to try a little experiment. We have three little clips we're going to listen to. And I'd like you just to get comfortable and close your eyes. I'm not going to hypnotize you, I promise. And I'd like you to listen to the song. And then when we're done, raise your hand and tell me how you responded to the song. All right, here we go. Everybody, close your eyes, if you trust me. Come on, close your eyes, play along. Here we go. Oh, wait, I need to plug in my computer. Excuse me. <laughs> okay, we'll need 11 and 12 up. Okay, here we go. Okay, raise your hand to tell me how that made you feel or how you responded to that. Somebody, anybody, yes. What? Joyful. Would that be accurate? You weren't scared? No, it was joyful. Anybody else? Yes. Say again. Happy, motivational. Anybody else? Alert. Fun. See, the kids got the fun words. Fun. Right? Joyful! Now, look at this. 
I read your minds before we started this, and I predicted you would say it was fun and happy. Is that what I did? No. Why could I, why would I know, and I've done this program probably in this specific program, probably in 12 or 13 different countries, in all different kinds of cultures, from black to white to zebra striped, everybody in between, and everybody, from no matter what their culture is, says the same thing. Why? Because the motive built into the song, the emotion built into the song said, this is happy, this is joyful. Ba, ba, da, ba. Now, my little boys, when I was putting, they were younger when I was putting this together, my, my youngest came to me and said, Daddy, play the froggy song. Play the froggy song. I, I, what's the froggy song? He goes, you know, la, 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 la. I went, oh, because in his mind, he saw a bunch of froggies jumping around and having a good time. <laughs> Amen? Awesome. All right. The question is, can music alone influence the listener? It made you think happy thoughts and happy images, and you felt light and happy, right? Interesting. What lyrics said, you're happy? There was no lyrical content. Okay, close your eyes. Here's another one. Here we go. Okay, I, I want to ask you right here, well, how'd that make you feel? Scared? She was like, oh, this little one's going, ah. amen. That is scary sound. How, anybody else, how'd you respond to that? Yes. Your nine month old that can't even talk in language yet was scared. You see, a musical God created musical beings and we can communicate with music. It's a language, my friends. Isn't that awesome? Scary, eerie. Everywhere I go around the world, people will respond the exact same way. Okay, close your eyes. Here's our last one. And it won't be scary, I promise. Can we all just say together, ah, oh, yeah, isn't that awesome? <laughs> if we were to define it in words, we would find out we would all say things like peaceful, it was tranquil, it was relaxing, you know. The, the funny thing is, some people go, that's new age. Now, there, no, there is new age music out there, but friends, there's no structure to it. That had structure, even though it was at the end of the song and it was slowing down. It still resolved, it was still done, it was a complete package. And friends, there's nothing wrong with that kind of music. In fact, I'll even go far as to say, as if that song put you into alpha, 
and you had no other incoming information, okay, relax with some beautiful music. That's okay. But when the devil can put us in alpha while we're being uh, copious amounts of negative information about him and his characters being poured into our soul, no, we got to be careful. You see, alpha is something that's beautiful. Beta is beautiful. If we didn't oscillate in any given day many times between alpha and beta brain activity, we'd all go a little nuts. And so this afternoon, I specifically went out and sat in a park for a little while because I needed to be in some alpha. Amen? Because I'm up here in beta all day long. And, and you know what they say? An hour of public speaking is akin to eight hours of physical labor. Did you know that? In the amount of brain activity and the burn that you have. So today I'm working about four or five days. I needed some alpha. I didn't want to go a little crazy with you. Moving on. Dr. Norman M. Weinberger. He is a professor of neurobiology and behavior right here at UC Irvine. His research confirms that music can powerfully and rapidly set moods and do so in, excuse me, music can rapidly and powerfully set moods and do so in a way not easily attained by other means. So, let's put this together now. Do you believe that music can move your emotions? Yes or no? Okay. Now let's tie it all together with the spirit of prophecy. Praise the Lord for this. Review and Herald, April 21st, 1885. If the thoughts are wrong, the feelings will be wrong. And the thoughts and feelings combine, what? Make up the moral character. Do you see that? So if anything that I put into my ears or into my eyes or my five senses is moving my emotions in a way contrary to God, and since the thoughts and feelings make up the moral character, we can thus conclude that moral music is very moral. It's not amoral. It's either immoral or moral. So, the fact that it moves my emotions, which triggers thoughts and images, it paints a very clear picture. Music is not amoral. It has incredible moral implications. Is that clear? Now, let's read on. When we decide that as Christians, we are not required to restrain our thoughts and feelings, I'll listen to whatever I want to. Well, guess what? You can do that because your walk is your walk. I've learned when I listen to whatever I want to, my walk was much further away from God. And so I want to do away with the things that pull me away and bring in the things that draw me to Him. Amen? And so when we as Christians decide we are not required to restrain our thoughts and feelings, it's okay if that music does this to me or does that to me. We are brought under the influence of evil angels and we invite their presence and their control. I didn't write that. You'd almost think she wrote this last week. Amen? And there was no such thing as death metal yet. God forbid Christian death metal. Christian death metal. It's like jumbo shrimp. 
It doesn't make it, it's an oxymoron. Christian death metal. It doesn't make any sense, friends. It doesn't make any sense at all. It's not logical. But we listen to music, we watch TV shows, movies, we surf the internet without restraining our thoughts and our feelings. Friends, I believe, as this says, we are inviting demons to hang out with us and let them have control. It's that serious. Were you aware of this? This is important stuff. So, did God create music to influence our thoughts and feelings? Yes, of course. Praise the Lord. We read earlier when, remember, it said that the music in heaven was so powerful that that Lucifer himself, after he had decided to rebel, his heart was turned toward God and Songs of praise and love came out of his lips. We read it. Spirit of prophecy. Amazing power in music, my friends. And yes, it can influence our thoughts and feelings. And God has no problem with that as long as he's the one doing the influencing through his music. Do you think that the devil has left music alone? No way. There is no way that the devil has left music alone. It's one of the most powerful agencies to ensnare a soul we also read. And he's not going to leave one of the most powerful agencies alone. The Enjoyment of Music, an interesting book. Everything in this book I wasn't too excited about, but we gleaned. You know, uh, Doug Batchelor says, sometimes you have to eat that watermelon, but you need to spit out the seeds, right? I can tell you right now, in all this research that we've poured over, and all the music samples, all the things that we had to listen to and put together for the seminar, there was a lot of spitting out of a lot of seeds. In fact, some watermelons seemed like they were only seeds. So we had to just, we don't even put these books, some of them, on our website available. We're just like, nah, there's just too much there. But some of the science was really good. This is interesting. Quote, Rhythm is the element of music most closely allied to body movement, fleshly or carnal, to physical action. Its simpler patterns when repeated over and over, which is exactly what rock does, can have a hypnotic effect on us. And so this particular book and many others, you, you know, you can find, I think it's close to 500 books written on the subject and about 3,000 studies. We're citing a few only a couple today. But the reality is, when we have and we listen to uh, simpler patterns repeated over and over and over again, it has a hypnotic effect on our minds. The Power of Sound, in another interesting book, in a section entitled Stress and Addiction, it states, they have also shown, scientists, that driving drum rhythms in excess of three to four beats per second will put the brain into a state of stress regardless if the listener likes or dislikes the music. When the brain is in a stressful state, it will release opioids, a group of hormones that function like morphine to help return itself to normal equilibrium. When these opioids are experienced often enough, it can be addicting and the listener seeks for the high again. This is why listeners tend to move from less to harder music. 
These steady drum rhythms release in the body gonadotrophins, sex hormones, which enhances sexual arousal. So just the low pounding and the driving beats alone release gonadotrophins. So how many young people on this campus need to control that are not married their sex hormones? And every married man in the world, how many of them and women need to control their sex hormones? All of us, amen? So imagine putting a young person who has made a decision for Jesus, and they said, I'm going to keep myself pure. I will not engage in pre-sexual or premarital intercourse. I will wait and save myself, just like Jesus has told us to do. And I will remain pure. I'll be wed to Christ until I'm wed to my husband or my, my wife. How many young people have made that decision? A lot. But unfortunately, what they don't understand is the music they're listening to could be one of their greatest stumbling stones because as they listen to this Taylor Swift song or they listen to whatever it may be, it's releasing these gonadotrophins which just makes them want that dude even more. So now we let, we let Junior take out little girl from Bible study. They're driving, I don't need little girl, but young lady and young man driving from the Bible study or an AY event and, and he's just going to take her home. And as he's driving home, he's like, man, she is really pretty. She's like, he's really hot, you know, and I really like him, but no, I'm going to save myself for Jesus. That Praise the Lord. But then he puts on his music that's Christian music that has a sexual, sensual body language on top of the driving beats which releases and enhances sexual arousal and no wonder they kissy kissy touchy touchy and everything elsey elsey <laughs> hello listen let's not fool ourselves when i was coming out of the world i was engaged to my my who became my wife kobe and god when he started getting my heart said christian you should not be intimate with your fiance I was in the world. Now I'm going to go backwards? Yeah, I went backwards in the world's eyes. But I went forward in God's eyes. I came to Loma Linda University because a friend of mine was enrolling in school here. My old roommate used to be an Adventist, was an Adventist. His girlfriend, both of them, fourth generation, I think she might have been fifth generation Adventist, they had chosen to live off campus so they could live together in sin. Yeah, that goes on here. It does. And here I am, a worldly guy, not doing that anymore. But you know what? All we had to do is look at their lifestyle. They were no longer careful with their diet. They were raised that way. They were no longer careful with the music they were listening to. They were raised that way. They were no longer careful with the movies that they were looking at. They became so educated in the worldly programming and the worldly ways that it just made logical sense because after all, we're promised to each other. I mean, we all know we're going to get married, so why not now? Friends, it's getting the cart before the horse. That really starts to mess up relationships. But you see the problem is if we, and frank, frankly, I was not impressed, and I left. I actually, this is not right, but I left with the impression, wow, when God's judgments fall, they'll probably start right around here first. That's where I, what I thought. 
come to know. Of course, God has His people everywhere. Praise God. I didn't know. I was ignorant. I wasn't even a Christian yet. Here's the thing. We need to be very careful with what we allow into our ears and what we allow into our children's ears. Because here's that pure young lady or that young man that wants to stand for Jesus. And that Christian music could actually be driving them away from Christ because of the motive, the body language of the song. I'll give you an illustration. Man, I wish we had more time together, guys. Listen, if you want, I mean, I have a few sets with me. I do have the full DVD series with me. So at the end, if you want to get that, you can have it. So think of it this way. Lyrically speaking, what do you, and look at me, look at me. What do you think about this proclamation I'm going to make? Ready? I love Jesus. What do you think about that? What? Good. Do you buy it? Do you believe it? Amen. Anything wrong with the lyrics? Anything wrong with the body language? No. You see, the one supports the other. Amen? I love Jesus. All right? How about this? Ready? Look here. We'll use the same lyrical content. Ready? I love Jesus. <laughs> no, really, I love him. But no, anything wrong with the lyrical content? No. Anything wrong with the way I said the lyrics? Yes. So it's not just the lyrical content. It can even be the way that we sing the song. How about my body language? What was it saying? Whatever. Kind of a slap in his face, right? You see, we could play a piece of music that has a beautiful piece of, of, of music and beautiful lyrics, and they support one another. And they uplift us to Christ, right? I love Jesus. But we could also play the same, or say and sing the same words, but have a music bed that is trite and kind of like, yeah, whatever. See what I'm saying? How about this? Ready? I love Jesus! I said I love Jesus! I love Jesus! Ah, yeah. yeah! I love him, man. Lyrical content okay? Could the delivery be improved? Yes. How about the body language? Yes. Yeah, see, I could sing the same song, but I could put some angry spin on the way I sing it, and my body language could be conveying a whole different message. I love Jesus. <laughs> All that crazy stuff they do. Man, you look at Christian album covers today, I didn't even know some of them were Christian. They're sitting there like... You know, there's like, and they're all tat out. They got tats everywhere. They got piercings. And they're just sitting like, I'm going to eat your lunch. I'm like, wow, let's have a Bible study with that guy. <laughs> out of the mouth of babes. He's like, I got that one, Dad. Amen. So now, imagine having the lyrical content. Let's say it's okay but the lyrical delivery is off and the body language of the song is off, but we can still call it Christian because it has the Christian lyrics. 
It has Jesus lyrics, but I can be angry and I can even incite a young person to rebellion, depression, and even worse. And then on top of it, the driving beats and rhythms release the sex hormones. What a cocktail for disaster! Exactly. Is this clicking? Is this clicking? Praise the Lord. And my trip will not have been in vain. Loud, booming bass music has a similar effect, and it's no wonder that adolescent males prefer these types of music. They're either stimulating a release of brain chemical, the opioids, or stimulating hormones, or both. So not only, basically what happens is when, when the, the body is perceiving, and I mean the body, not just the ears, but when the ears the, and the body is perceiving this music and receiving it, and it has these driving drum rhythms, physiologically and neurologically, we actually don't want it. Now, emotionally, we might want it. That's a whole different story. And basically what happens is the brain has two hemispheres, and it likes to be in a, what's called a state of homeostasis, which is a state of balance, right? And when these driving beats that are excessive and they continue, the brain perceives this as an attack, and it causes an actual agitation, or as science puts it, a friction between the two hemispheres of the brain. It says, release the hounds, <laughs> release the hormones, because we are agitated and we need to get a hit here. And a morphine-like substance is released and causes the brain to go, ah. Oh. This is why certain kinds of music, we can actually physiologically get addicted to them. Because we're either releasing that hormone or another hormone, the gonadotrophins. Do you see how this is much more than, that's the devil's music? I mean, I hear, I hear that so much. And so many young people come and say, man, my mom and my dad, they just say, that's the devil's music. And I say, well, why? And mom and dad go, because I just know it is. Like, well, maybe you're wrong. So we need to educate and we need to put tools into our young people's hands so they can make educated decisions. If you don't know, Go and find resources like The Distraction Dilemma and watch it together with them. I'll never get my son to watch it. I'll teach you a trick on how you can get any child to watch it. Would you like to know what it is? Okay, it's 12 hours long, and I guarantee you they'll sit there and they'll watch it. And the Lord will hook them in eventually by God's grace. Here's what you say. Get off of them, by the way, and stop hounding them. And if you make them this promise, if you can keep your promise, tell them, look, if they're older, say, look, watch this series with me. And if you watch it from cover to cover, all, all, all 12 hours, I'll never talk to you about your music again. You want to know how many young people go, oh, I'm in. Because so many times the parents are going, beat them, beat them over the head type of thing, and yet they haven't given them any tools to educate them. So once we are involved in this viewing then the little light bulbs start to go on. I have not heard of one report where a parent has done that. I'm, I'm sure it's happened, but I have not heard of this report where they sat down with their young person and they watched it and they made that deal with them that the young person did not modify some things in their life. Praise the Lord. The history 
of the songs of the Bible is full of suggestions as to the uses and benefits of music and song. Rightly employed, that means we can, to use a bad word, wrongly employ it, right? But rightly employed, it is a precious gift of God. Designed, okay, it's a gift from who? God. And it was what? Designed. So God gave it, and He designed it to beat us down. No? Of course not. Let's read on. It's designed to uplift the thoughts to high and noble themes and to inspire and elevate the soul. If we're listening to music that's depressive and leads us to think in opposite ways, we're going against the original design of God's music. Easy principle? Put it in your toolbox. Now, we're going to go through a couple music clips here. We're going to look at some... Now, we start in the music seminar. We actually spend more than three hours going over an audible history of music. We're going to spend probably six to 12 minutes here. Serious. Renaissance, from 1450 to about 1600, the music was elevating and ennobling to the soul. Oh, we're having some difficulties with our slides. When we transferred from my laptop to their laptop, that's why I'm doing a dual system, we had some errors, so please just bear with us. Hopefully everything else will work fine. Renaissance means rebirth, and there were many changes in the way that music was created. Composers concerned themselves with three areas of music, sacred, secular, and instrumental. Now, let's listen to a Renaissance piece that was considered sacred in its day. Okay? <clears throat> Sacred. Amen? Now, buckle your seatbelts. Let's listen to a secular version back in the Renaissance. Heresy. <laughs> that was a secular piece. You see, music, you have to understand, was largely a privilege. Music was really uh, uh, reserved largely for the privileged and the wealthy. Only could a commoner hear this kind of music if they went to church. The church put a lot of money into creating beautiful pieces of music. To Imagine walking into a beautiful Gothic cathedral and you heard that. You'd be like, wow. Amen? Amen. Much different than walking into a, a chapel today or, or a business center that's supposed to be a church and everybody's rocking out with smoke and lights and all this kind of stuff going on. And I know that happens right in these areas as well. Interesting that the music was all similar in nature and it shared smooth, gentle rhythms, melodies with balanced phrases. Now, the music of America was largely built upon, early America was built upon European music. Why would that be? 
It was the Europeans that founded America. They were looking for what? Religious freedom, right? And so they were, they were seeking to escape the Roman uh, iron fist and have freedom to worship the way that they wanted to worship. So when the Europeans came over, the only Americans here were the American Indians, the natives, the aboriginals, different countries call them different things, but they're basically the natives. Before that, everybody lived pretty much in Europe, and that's where music was really going on. When we founded America, we brought that with us. Now, I'm going very quickly through music history. Like I said, we normally spend three hours on it. It was in the early 1800s in America that a blight on our history came into being. In the 1800s, uh-oh, I think, oh wait, hang on, hang on, let me, let me try this. There we go. In the 1800s in America, there were slaves that were brought from Africa who were sold to white merchants in North America. They also brought with them from Africa their ritualistic religious practices known as voodoo. Now, interestingly enough, it wasn't known as voodoo in the motherland. That's what we coined it eventually, and now, strangely enough, they call it that themselves. But the reality is the Africans, when they were sold to white America, brought along with them their ritualistic religious practices known as voodoo, heavily wrapped around tribal drums. And it's ancestral worship. There was all kinds of things that go on. In fact, to this day, it still happens in certain parts of Africa. Common knowledge. I was in, in Sweden speaking, giving this presentation. The, the uh, conference president of a certain part of Africa, he was from Kenya. He came up to me and he said, oh, Christian, he's about this tall, beautiful guy. And he said, oh, Christian, thank you so much, thank you so much. He says, you must come to Africa. You must tell my people. They don't believe this. They don't understand. It was so amazing. It was an amazing moment. And so we're working on getting this little white dude over to Africa to talk about African music. That's craziness to me. <laughs> but really, the reality is I'm a six-foot-two beautiful black man trapped in a little white man's body. No, I'm telling you right now, that, I mean, anyway. Uh, <laughs> understand that we are going to talk about African tribal music and the influence on America because this is the American musical history. We are not, however, trying to say that this ritual tribal drumming was only exclusive to Africa. That is not true. You can go to any society around the world and the natives or the aboriginals, they all had the same thing in common. So it wasn't the, the Native Americans, the Indians that influenced popular culture in America. It was this, what, this African influence. If it had been the Chinese influence or the Russian influence, and they all had the drumming. And in the seminar, we play all these clips, and you're like, wow, I never knew that. It's in every corner of the planet. So please, don't put any words in my mouth. I'm not here to pick on my African brothers and sisters. Can you say amen? Yeah. Amen. This is just history. This is the reality. And if you're not sure about it, go study it out. It is the reality. John H. Steele in his book, The World of the Unexplained. Um, he is a, a professional at going and researching 
and knowing uh, different cultures. And he's an expert in one of them being the African culture. He says this, the follower of voodoo seeks to incorporate Allah or a lesser God into himself by writhing and leaping through a dance while drums bang out complex rhythms. When just the right rhythm is found for an individual Lao, the dancer takes it up and the Lao enters his soul. This is what we would call, in proper terms, demon possession. Okay? There is no such thing as a lesser God, my friends. Amen? There is one God. The rest are created beings. Now, some created beings, the angels do have certain kinds of powers, and they're able to do these kinds of things. Obviously, we know this is true, because biblically, the demons were even able to jump into some pigs. You follow what I'm saying? They can possess people and animals. This is not a, an unbiblical standpoint. Not that this guy's a Christian, he's not. But he understands what's happening in this world of the unexplained. Dr. Riches, by the way, you'll always find three elements in pagan rituals and pagan rites. You will always find sex, mind-altering drugs, and hypnotic music. It's the chosen slogan for the rock and roll industry, sex, drugs, and rock and roll. It's just different words now. Dr. Richard Hodges, he says that the drummers often shuffle their feet or sway their bodies in dance-like motions to assist them in maintaining contact with the main beat, especially when the rhythm is syncopated. And this is a word that a lot of people don't understand. And I'm not here to tell you that syncopation is of the devil because syncopation is not of the devil. There are some people that speak on music and they don't understand that syncopation is okay in little doses. It's like a meal. Who likes totally bland, unseasoned foods? Anybody here? All of us would like to have at least probably some, a little bit of salt, right? All, and, and I like lots of different flavor. I love, diff I love different herbs and spices, and the fresher the better. I just went to the store for my wife who's been laid up in bed. She said, please get basil. I said, okay, great. I came back with basil and she wanted basil <laughs> so I said honey I'll be making some pesto <laughs> some fresh pesto but here's the thing when we talk about syncopation think of it like you would a meal to over season a meal what does it do to the meal it ruins it have you ever dumped your salt shaker in a meal you can't shake it off it's just like hey, yeah, right it's, it ruins the meal Syncopation is like seasoning to music. If you over-syncopate it to the neurology and the biology, it's displeasing. Does that make sense? So a little bit here or a little bit there to add interest or energy, that's okay. What they have found recently, and I didn't know this when we recorded the seminar a couple years back, what I didn't realize was now they're able to ascertain that within 30 seconds to a minute of syncopation, the brain can go into alpha mode. So it can't be the whole song. It can't be the whole playlist. It can't be the whole iPod. Amen? This is the reality of it. <clears throat> Especially when the rhythm is syncopated. And I wish I had time to get into that. We don't. We have to move on. 
By the way, there's a lot of music majors in the area. Many have come up to me and had great conversations with me, and you can ask them to explain syncopation to you. In fact, some of my favorite classical pieces have sections of syncopation to it, and it's amazing and awesome and interesting, but you're on it, and it happens, bump, 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 and then we're off of it again. And it adds interest. It doesn't drive the brain into a, a, like a short circuit or a hypnotic state. Moving on. During these rituals that still play, take place in the Congo and Yoruba land, the intricate layers of the multiple rhythmic drumming are considered the primary source of occult power. That's a key phrase. The multiple rhythmic drumming. It's called polyphony. This is how we listen to music today. Many different uh, sounds happening at one time. And so in the rhythm track of a song, if there's all these different layers happening, which by the way, in the Congo and Yoruba land and way back when before um, in Africa, it took a whole tribe to create this rhythmic section. Well, over times, and if you look at your history, we explain this a little bit more as well, in, when you look at New Orleans, something was invented in New Orleans in, 18, in the 1800s. It was called the contraption set. And this contraption set had what was called the throne. And this player, because what they were trying to do was to put this ritualistic African worship service into a Western form of presentation. Because it was used to a band would stand up there and play. But now when all the dancers are the drummers in the band and everybody's intricately involved, it was very strange for all this, this port town of, of uh, New Orleans. People from all over the world were coming there. So they, with the blessing of the Catholic Church, they started to alter this, and the, the, the worship service was now presented in a Western form of presentation, multiple players still playing. Eventually, this contraption set was built. We know it now as the trap set, and we just shortened it. And now, one player with four limbs can do what it took four to five or six people to do before. And we just bang out the same complex rhythms. So this rhythmic structure was really gave birth to the boon in the American, the American sound. And early rock and roll, before that jazz and ragtime and all of that had all this element. And, and ragtime and jazz fed the newfound rock and roll era. Does this make sense? And this is the reality. It's, it's just the reality. So the multiple rhythmic drumming are considered the primary source of occult power. So now we're going to listen to a couple of samples of voodoo music. The reality is... Oh, there's one right there. Might as well play it. Go ahead. Listen to the multiple layers. All the different layers. Did you hear all the layers? Listen to this one. This is actual voodoo. We're going to come back to this one. Here's a little bit more modern version. All to be had on iTunes. Vocal element added. 
All the different multiple layers of drumming are considered to be the source of occult power. You can play these certain rhythms. Certain rhythms call up certain demons. Now, I'm not here to say, please understand me, I'm not here saying that if an unknowing person happens to play a rhythm that is based on an African rhythm, that the demons are going to jump into their soul. I believe that God in our ignorance protects us an awful lot. Okay? I'm not sitting here saying that. There are some that will, and I just think that's stretching things. And I'd rather not stretch it and just be my yay be yay and my nay be nay. Amen? So the whole point is to become hypnotized, alpha, we're not thinking about it, we're just responding to the music and we're doing whatever, interesting, you can see all these movements and all this kind of stuff happening in all the clubs. It's just real tribal. Because we're listening to tribal music. It appeals to the, to the autonomic system, it appeals to the limbic system, it appeal, appeals to all the stuff to where it's almost, just starts to take over. Before you know it, you can't help it, yeah, you're just going. Well, that's what happens, friends. That's truly what happens. I have quote after quote after quote from people all the way from Beyonce to Michael Jackson to you name it, anybody else. And they're the, the, the greatest stars ever to hit the planet. And they're saying something about the music. It just takes me over and I lose control and I don't even know what I'm doing on stage anymore. True. I've been there and done that myself. Frankly, I'll be really frank with you. African music to me is a huge stumbling block because... I really like it. I'm just telling you, I think it's some of the coolest rhythmic stuff going on on the planet, and it's a stumbling block for me. I really dig it. And so I have to really stay away from it. You hear what I'm saying? And the last thing I want to do is to bring it into God's house. The whole point in these worship services is to get into trance and become possessed by demons. In the 1840s, a lot of... Um, let's get past this. In the 1840s, a lot of Africans started turning to Christ. Now, I don't say black people, because there are different black people from all different corners of the planet. It was specifically the Africans in America. So don't be offended because we're only talking about the, the Africans. Yes, I know, there are beautiful black people all around the planet, but we're talking about American musical history, okay? So a lot of Africans started turning to Christ and were allowed to have their own churches. Some turned away from drums completely. Others, unfortunately, incorporated them into their new faith. They would sing the same hymns, these new converts, as the Caucasians, but with shouting and beating out counter-rhythms on tambourines, gourds, and logs. Eventually, this brought about what we know now today as the Holy Flesh Movement. Interestingly enough, congregants still sought for possession, but now it was called the Holy Ghost. True history. And so... In pagan worship styles, we will see people flipping around on the ground, speaking in unknown languages. We call it tongues in the churches. We see people slain in the spirit in the churches. Friends, this is not something new. This is something that's been around a lot. And it was never found in God's church from ancient times. That's what was going on in the heathen lands around, friends. 
That's what was going on in these fallen Babylonian and devilish systems of worship. <clears throat> Basically, what we could say was this was baptized paganism. It was baptized paganism. Now, I don't believe that these new converts were trying to bring on demon possession, and they weren't trying to bring this into the church. It's just what they knew. This is how they worshiped, but now they're not calling for this demon. They wanted to be possessed by other spirits. The Holy Spirit, they called it the Holy Ghost, but they were using a faulty and devilish methodology. You understand? Later on in our history, we get introduced to this guy, Aleister Crowley. Like I say, we're making huge leaps here. Normally, it would take two, three hours to get right up to this guy's name. Aleister Crowley, why are we talking about him? Well, he promised that if you practice his Satanism and his witchcraft, you could become a professional in music. One of the things he taught. Founded, he founded the religious philosophy of Thelema. He wrote the book of the law. And in the book of the law, he states this, Do what thou wilt, this shall be the whole of the law. So the whole law in Satanism is to do what you want to do. That's the law. Do what you want to do. That's the law. Now, how does that compare to what God teaches us? It flies in the face of God. Because God says, not your will, but mine. You see, Satan and, Satanism at its core is egocentric. Me, I, what I want to do, that's the truth. That's the law. God says, it's not about you. It's about me. Why? He can handle that worship. We can't. <laughs> I am not God. He desired to use, this is a direct quote, he desired to use music to bring on the new age, the dawning of the age of Aquarius. All these things, as you start to study it out, it was a methodical plan to steal the soul out of a newfound country that was looking for religious freedom. Incredible. He also said this, he desired to use an army of youth to indoctrinate with do what thou wilt. God wants to indoctrinate, if you will, an army of youth with don't do what you want to do, do what I want to do through you. Amen? Amen? See, the devil has the same plans. He just wants to take over. So his philosophy spread like wildfire, and through music and eventually other media outlets, this entire do-what-thou-wilt philosophy began to blossom. In fact, what happened was, in the early, uh, the 30s and 40s, even the 20s, this different syncopation was starting to add, and there was quite a division between what was called in the day black music and white music. By the time that we hit the 40s, there started to becoming uh, a synthesis of the two, and by the time we hit 50s, all of a sudden, we had a joining of the two, and a brand new sound was developed, which we call today rock and roll. Bill Haley and the Comets, these guys hit the streets. And what's interesting is everything had come together now, and this, what was crazy and what was new and what was totally different was that you had a, a white band using African-derived, an African-derived art form to create this new sound and 
the United States and the world went bonkers for it. It was something to be heard. What's interesting now is they add different elements in. You got the bass, of course. Instead of it being a bass drum, a heavy bass drum, you had a stand-up bass. They still had the bass and the kick uh, in the uh, trap set. And they added different things like guitars. And they added even a rhythm guitar. The guitar now became a rhythm instrument. Bang, 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 bang. It was just another polyrhythmic element now in the music. Remember when you have all the different layers of multiple drumming and the different layers interacting rhythmically with one another, it can become the source of occult power. We read that earlier. It becomes hypnotic as well. So you might have recognized in 1954, if you know your history, they began to write hit songs. And as I said, as a a white band using black-derived forms. This is not my quote, black-derived forms. This is how they just called it. And they ventured into rock and roll. You might recognize the music. I want you to listen to how rhythmic this particular song is, even the way that the guy is singing the lyrics. Everything in the song is rhythmic. But it was a new sound. And all oh, people loved it. Everything's rhythm. Hear all the different instruments? You see, it starts out fun enough. But the devil never ever leaves it there, does he? He always keeps adding more and more poison. And the 50s and the 60s, when music had really become altogether different than what God intended, the drug scene began to be like never before. Rebellion and total disregard for any sort of authority was in full bloom. And any of us that lived anywhere around that, you know exactly what I'm talking about. There was the free love movement and all this kind of stuff. Just love and not war. What was amazing, every time there was a peace demonstration, it ended in riots. Why? Because they would play crazy psychedelic music at the riots. And it would imbue the listeners with the anger and the rage. And the music of the age reflected that. And as they played these at their different demonstrations, people were imbued with the satanic spirit and they would trash buildings and set on fires and flip over cars and, and beat each other up. Why? Well, when you listen to that kind of stuff, you're changed into that kind of stuff. Amen? That's what, how it works. So now, unfortunately, we ventured into openly glorifying the devil now in our music. Before, it was always kind of a hidden element. But then, as time progressed, we started becoming overt with our satanic elements in there. Do what thou wilt was in full blossom. The do what thou wilt philosophy. We'll decide what goes on. We'll decide what we do. We'll decide what we smoke. We'll decide what we listen to. We'll decide how we dress, how we talk, how we act. 
where we go. And the philosophy of do what thou wilt became do your own thing. The same satanic philosophy written in the satanic Bible becomes the mantra of generation. And it's never stopped, and it just gets changed over the decades. What is it now, by the way? Come on. What? Do whatever makes you happy or close. No, there's a saying. Come on, young people. You're hip, right? What? Follow your heart. Come on. That's an old one. Come on. What? Someone said it over here. YOLO. You only live once. It's the same philosophy. In other words, you only live once. You better do whatever you want to do. It's the same philosophy. Do what thou wilt. The other thing that's real popular in the church, by the way, is don't judge me. Hmm. Huge. Who are you to judge me? My truth is my truth and your truth is your truth. That, by the way, is a sinister thought process. We're going to get into that in a little bit, if we have time. So, what's interesting, as I alluded to yesterday, is that while in some groups their satanic messaging was very hidden, other groups like the Rolling Stones, their stand was not real hard to figure out. When you release an album with a title song called Sympathy for the Devil, I think we know where their sympathies lie. Are you following? Are you tracking with me? But here's something that I want you to, you probably have never, if you know this song, unfortunately I used to love the Stones. I used to listen, and this is one of my favorite songs. The song starts out with pure voodoo. And here I thought it was some of the coolest cutting-edge music ever. No, it was some of the oldest music on the planet with a very old serpent playing it. But I want you to listen and watch the lyrical content because, friends, there's a devil at work. Now, I mentioned to you, the devil many times will serve up two platters, right? Remember that? The reality is the same record label served up the Beatles as the Rolling Stones. And so the Christians, or the more prim and proper, or the more upright Americans, or Europeans, would not listen to the satanic Rolling Stones. I just listened to the Beatles. Because after all, they had suit and ties, and they embraced dress reform, right? Now, Watch the lyrics and listen to them. This is going to be hard for me. Uh, okay, here we go. We're going to try this. Hello? Ah, thank you. I need both channels, 11 and 12. What's that? That's voodoo.
sorry. Did you catch the lyrics? I'm, I'm sorry, I, this dual system is driving me nuts. Listen, I was round when Jesus Christ had his moment of doubt and pain, made blank sure that Pilate washed his hands and sealed his fate. And I used to listen to this song as a worldly person. I had no idea what this was talking about. Except for it sounded cool. I didn't even know half the lyrics because I, you know, made, yeah, yeah, that Jesus Christ or whatever. How many of us don't know half the lyrics anyway? You think there's a plan behind that? Sometimes all we know is the chorus. Yeah, 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 or whatever it is. <laughs> but there's so much con... Listen, listen, don't miss this. There's so much lyrical content that the subconscious mind does discern. And so all of this talking about made sure that uh, I've been... A, please allow me to introduce myself. I'm a man of uh, wealth and fame, been around a long, long time, stole many man's soul and faith. All of that stuff goes into your mind, even if the conscious mind is not hearing it. Especially when the conscious mind has been, as it were, short-circuited and put into alpha, just pour it all in. The devil understands this, and God's people don't. And I want to warn, warn, warn. Wake up. Oh, Su Ching. Here's, here's what he says. Sixth century B.C. Okay, so in other words, Christian Berdahl is not really sharing anything new with you. For changing people's manners and customs, there's nothing better than music. <laughs> nothing. Anton LaVey. Ever heard of this guy? This old chap? Well, Anton LaVey, he decides, he picks up Crowley's torch, and he establishes the official church of Satan. And interestingly enough, as he wrote the Satanic Bible, there's the Bible right there. By the way, this is called the Sigil of Baphomet. It's an upside-down pentagram, and this is a goat's head, which is symbolic of who? The devil. It's their logo. They're not trying to hide. They are proud to be Satanists. Satanists are the absolute of, opposite of Christians. It's all about self, and every desire that you have must be met. In fact, he says, I don't know if it's still in this, uh, this session or not, he says that inside man there's a beast that needs to be exercised not exorcised. That's the philosophy of Satanism. And friends, we as Christians, even in the Seventh-day Adventist church, are embracing these satanic philosophies. YOLO, I'll do what I want to do. Don't judge me. Friends, we have to be careful. When we become Christians, certain things are off the table. Amen? That's it. Well, I don't like that. Okay, 
you don't have to be a Christian. But let's not confuse what it means to be a Christian living like a sellout. Amen? Because, friends, the ones who are sold out for God, nobody questions whether or not the Lord is leading them if they're on fire for God. Right? And if you're sold out for the devil, you think of the Marilyn Mansons of the world, and you're sold out for the devil, nobody questions whether or not he's sold out for the devil. They go, that guy's for God, and that guy's for the devil. It's this big in-between area that we as Christians kind of want to live like the devil because, you know, after all, they got much better parties, a lot funner games, a lot funner music, and so we want to be like the devil when we call ourselves Christians. God's looking for a people that will say, enough, Lord, you and you alone. So he writes the Satanic Bible, and of course, Crowley's Do What Thou Will is the whole of the law, is the Church of Satan's official philosophy and doctrine. LeVay says, let's get them to a place where they forget their logic and just do what they want to do. Just do what thou wilt. You see, the whole idea is to turn us into non-thinking people. And God says, no. Let us come and reason together. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Amen? I will renew your mind. I will give you a new heart, and I will renew your mind. And the devil's going, no, 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 no. You don't, you don't really want that. You, you just want to feel the way you're feeling, engage in things that you want to engage in, because after all, doesn't that make you feel good? Come on, man. This is very interesting. High tech and the low frequencies. This is a, um, this was an article written by a reporter named Jason Sneed. He wrote about the huge DJ and club scene and just how it is skyrocketing like never before. And here's what he writes in this article. DJ Lauren, a.k.a. Bass Nectar, represents the wave of DJ success, playing amazing sets to dance floors throughout North America and beyond. Bass Nectar's shows have the future primitive feel of all-out revelry resulting from the tribal unity of audience involvement. That is quite a loaded sentence, and little does he know just how accurate it is. But here's what I want to do. I want to play a clip for you. And this particular clip is one that we heard earlier. So the first clip that we're going to listen to is uh, a voodoo clip. And I believe this will probably set it for you, and this might even amaze you. So here's the clip. We heard this earlier. Pure voodoo, okay? So now I'd like to play a piece from Bass Nectar. Now, they sound totally different, yes? No, you're too smart. The reality is, friends, it's the exact same thing. It's just a little bit more bass, a little bit more modern, 
and all the other stuff going on in there. But here's what we're going to do. I'm going to pl start playing that piece again from Bass Nectar. And when I point, I overlaid that voodoo track and it perfectly, not even sort of kind ofishly, it perfectly lines up with the voodoo. I mean, it's absolutely even in time. And God, I, I was praying to the Lord saying, Lord, how do I illustrate that this indeed is the same music, just a modern spin on it. And as I was listening to that, the Holy Spirit pricked my conscience. Like, Christian, that's the same music. I said, well, I know that, Lord. He said, no, that's the same music. And I went and I listened to it and I went, oh, and I put it in my, my software program called Pro Tools that we record our albums on. And I, I put that track in. I grabbed this one and I went like this. And I went and I hit play and I went, what? It is exactly. I mean, I was just like, whoa, that's a smoking gun. <laughs> Amen. In the 1980s, our music became far more explicit in its sexual content and the do what thou wilt that became do your own thing, it became live and let live. The same philosophy, friends, just a different mantra. In the 90s, the music became even more explicit and, and it, labels had to start being added in the 80s and 90s that said explicit content for the first time ever in the history of music. And the 2000s brought us amazing different things in our life. People like a Marilyn Manson that you would have never had be promoted like they were ever promoted like they are today. And here's something that Marilyn Manson, who's Marilyn Manson? He's a rocker, kind of an alternative kind of rocker. And he's, and he's satanic. He's actually an ordained minister of Satan, a high priest of Satan, literally. It was an honorary degree given to him. <laughs> I don't know what that means, except for they bestowed it upon him because he's a great disciple for the devil. But he says this, I don't know if anyone has really understood what we're trying to do. Lure people in, and once we've got them, we can give them our message. You see, friends, these are well-funded public evangelists. In fact, our young people pay to go to their evangelism outreach efforts. We do it for free and we get 30 people showing up, right? They charge people hundreds of bucks and fill 80,000 seat auditoriums to be indoctrinated. Reading on, here's another quote that he had in Spin Magazine in 1996. He says, hopefully I'll be remembered as the person who brought an end to Christianity. Here's another quote he says, and this was after the Columbine shootings because there was strong evidence that the two young men that picked up those arms that day were jacked up on his music acting out some of the lyrical content. Here's what he says, if somebody kills themselves because of our music, then that's one less stupid person in the world. He says, raise your kids better or I'll be raising them for you. You see, friends, it's, we have this perception that the people in the music industry, they're just making music. No! 
Every musician on the planet has an agenda, including me. I have a righteous agenda by God's grace, amen? I want to lead souls to Christ, so when I write a song, I want it not to be about me. I don't want it to be about what I've penned out. I want it to be about a, a story, a lyrical uh, a poem that leads people with a beautiful music bed to Christ. I have an agenda. You found me out. But to think that the rest of the musicians in the world don't have an agenda, that's just like putting your head in the sand. They're well-funded, far better funded than God's church. You know, God has a problem. Yes, He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. But you know, Ellen White says something akin to this. Yes, the Lord owns the cattle on a thousand hills. The problem is a lot of the cattle is in the, the pockets of His people. God's blessed us with talents and means, whether you're a doctor, whether you're a garbage man, whether you're a teacher, whatever you, occupation you may have, He's given you talents to impress the world with the salvational truth of His Son, Jesus Christ, and to put your money into His work, to grow it. He hasn't given you gifts so you can have another house, a third or fourth car and the vacation home, and the vacations every year. and all We're so distracted now that we've forgotten that we are just pilgrims here and we're going to go to a better place. Amen. You see, what the devil's trying to do is to sock us in here because he wants us to be here dead in our trespasses. Is this, any of this making sense? The Bible tells us to Prove all things. Hold fast to that which is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Friends, I believe that combining, combining Jesus' lyrics with satanic music beds is at least a form of evil. At minimum. It's blasphemy. But at least a form of evil. Now, what kind of music glorifies God? I'm glad you asked. Praise the Lord. <laughs> you can hand out these cards, brothers. Some of you have these little cards. If you'd do me a favor, just give it to one per couple or per family. I didn't realize we're going to have so many here, and so I didn't bring enough supplies. This is a little baby music card, and it's going to have more than we can cover in the next few minutes together. This part of the section of the seminar should take two and a half hours. We're going to do it in 45 minutes, hopefully. What kind of music glorifies God? There are five basic criteria that a song must pass before we allow it into our ears. We call this our music test. Well, how convenient. We prayed about this. Lord, how could we create an acronym that makes sense for a music test? And we came up with, by the Holy Spirit, a music acronym. Awesome, right? Praise the Lord. M stands for meaningful. By the way, if you don't get one of these free cards, just contact our ministry. Go to shepherdscall.com. We'll send you as many as you want for free. We'll even pay the shipping. You see, we want you to have little tools in your hand. Put this in your pocket. Put it in your purse. If you're a guy, put it in your purse. Whatever it, wherever it needs to be. Put it, there are mercies today. It's awesome to me. I don't use one. Actually, it's not awesome. It's weird to me. But uh, 
put it in your wallet. Tape it on the deck in your car, your radio in the car. Put it wherever you can put it. Amen? When you look in the mirror, you'll see it and go, oh, that's right. We've got to be careful with our music choices. Amen? Number one, or rather M. M stands for meaningful, not trivial. Here it comes. Meaningful music. M stands for meaningful, not trivial. U stands for worldly, excuse me, untainted, not worldly. S stands for spiritual, not carnal. I, inspirational, not degrading. And C, clear, not confused or disguised. Does this make sense? All right. Excellent. So, let's move on. Meaningful, not trivial. Let's talk about that for a few moments. I'm not sure we're going to get through all of this because our time is ticking away and I must end at 6.30, I am told. <laughs> right. Okay, so, meaningful, not trivial. Stan Mosier, former head of Word Records, he was the one that found a young lady named Amy Grant. He's also the CEO of Star Song Records. And he's also one of the main pioneers and executives of the, the Christian contemporary music movement, including eventually the birthing of a magazine entitled the same, CCM. Here's what Stan Mosier has to say. The guy that helped to start this whole Christian contemporary music movement. Here's what he says. To be candid, I look at the majority of the music I hear today, and I think it's virtually meaningless. There is a growing chasm between CCM and the church, between what is actually happening in the real world of ministry, or even in the music ministry of the church, and what we're doing in CCM. That was an awesome statement to find. Because the reality is you got the guy at the foot of all of it, at the foot of this, and he's saying, it's not even music ministry anymore. We're so disconnected. It's become a business. Untainted, not worldly. Let's talk about this. In the, now understand, in the full seminar, we listen to examples of something that would be meaningless versus something that would be meaningful. And we listen to different samples. We, I don't know, we, have, we probably have a couple hundred different samples in the whole seminar. And so I just don't have time to play all of these. We'll play a couple, but not many today. In their efforts to reach the, Lord's pe to reach the people, the Lord's messengers are not to follow the ways of the world. Period. You don't play worldly music to bring the world into the church. You have to play beautiful, spiritual, uplifting music to give them an alternative to what they're already engaged in. Otherwise, why do they want to join with us? Time Magazine. They write this, that CCM performers are indistinguishable except for their lyrics from their secular counterparts. Should we be distinguished by at least our lyrical content? Yes. Should we dis be distinguished by our music? Yes, 
Absolutely. Spiritual, not carnal. Man, this is just so... I feel like I'm doing a big disservice to you. Because most of us are probably struggling with the contemporary Christian music. Not so much, well, a lot of our young people are really struggling with the secular music. And so I almost feel like I'm doing a great disservice because, frankly, each one of these we spend a lot of time on and we listen to some of these samples. And Lord, just please bless. Amen? All right. Spiritual, not carnal. Anthony Campolo. Oh, that was supposed to be a photo there, but apparently that one didn't transfer over. He was writing about what was called the Creation Fest, a Christian musical festival that would go on for many, many days, kind of like uh, Woodstock back in the day. And bands from around the, country, the world and the country would come to this festival. And here's what this guy wrote. Being in the back room with many of these famous groups, the Christian groups, before they go on stage is absolutely frightening. The ego trips they are on and the language they use to hear their hate for others. And when showtime comes, however, they go out on stage with, hey, aren't we all together in Jesus Christ and the love that we share? Blah, blah, blah. What's happening in the Christian world musically is these different Christian musicians have found a niche and it can be profitable. And unfortunately, they're using a faulty methodology using secular sounding music and secular ways to create music, putting Jesus lyrics on it sometimes. Some of the, the lyrical content of Christian songs are so veiled we can't even understand what they're talking about. And the music they themselves are creating is converting them. And so they are talking like foul sailors. And they do have hate for each other because the body language of the music has that in it. And when you play it and you create it and you do it over and over and over again, shall I say, it even imbues you more you're not just a listener, you're now a creator of that anger. Does that make sense? Inspirational, not degrading. <clears throat> you know what, uh, brother, let's go to the next. Um, let's go to the next slide here. Let me see where it's at. Okay. Audio Adrenaline and DC Talk. This was in the Christian Conscience magazine, and this was an article talking about it, and they said this, an extremely loud and incessant heavy bass beat was the predominant trademark for both bands for the entire evening. We are having some technical difficulties. Here we go. The musicians of Audio Adrenaline stirred up the crowd as they thrashed their heads around and bounced around the stage to their hard rock music. There was virtually no self-control near the stage. The crowd was high on the loud music. 
as you travel around this country and around the world and have had your eyes open like mine have been open, there are youth camps all over the place that have this exact same testimony. I was kicked out, excuse me, almost kicked out of a conference. I'm even blacklisted in one of our conferences because I talked on this subject and in the same camp they had a full-on crazy rock and roll situation going on in the teen in the youth camp in their tent. They had a poster that had this rock group that wasn't even an Adventist rock group. It was a Christian rock group and on it there was just all this drippy gothic blood and all this kind of stuff and they were going to have a crazy rock concert. And the fact that I was in my tent with the little ones teaching them about different things about godly principles of music, that guy came after me and tried to get me kicked out of the 10-day camp. Everywhere I go, my eyes have been opened, friends. And sometimes what happens is in the adult tent, they have beautiful music, and they'll have acceptable music, and they have straight messages. But in the youth tent, the devil is stealing the souls of the young people. I know that's not popular to say, but friends, I did not start in ministry to be popular. No. Because if you want to be popular, you can't talk like this. I don't care. I'm not impressed or even worried about earthen powers. Amen? And none of us should be, as long as we're telling the straight truth, unabashedly. It's not cocky of me. I'm not trying to be a jerk. The reality is there's a truth out here. We need to share it and we need to not be ashamed of the gospel. We need more people out singing and preaching and teaching. Amen? Clear, not confused or disguised. This is very interesting to me because in this particular last segment. I'm going to go to one of my other slide presentations here. You, you guys just leave it there. Don't touch it in the back, audio guys. By the way, you've been doing a great job. Thank you. I need to play one clip for you because I think it'll drive home the point I'm trying to make. And I know the devil doesn't want me to play this, but by God's grace, too bad. Ah, it is here. Okay, good. So we're going to move on. It is here. I wanted to make sure it was here. Now let's talk about clear, not disguise. And it looks like we're going to be on time with everything. Clear, not disguise. CCM Magazine editor John Style complained that some Christian songs today are so veiled in terms of their spiritual content that their meaning is lost to all but the most imaginative. So I have a question for you. If the great cry is, it's only the lyrical content that matters. It's not the music bed. I can use whatever worldly music bed that I want or whatever genre, whatever sound. It's really the lyrical content that matters. Then what do we have in a Christian band or singer when they have taken out the Christian, the expressly Christian content lyrically and replaced it with a bunch of gibberish? What do we have now? We just have secular music that's branded Christian. 
You see how subtle this is and what a problem this is? One of the other problems is that we bring young people to these amazing concerts, thousands, tens of thousands of people coming to some of these Christian concerts. If I'm lucky, I'll fill this room because I'm not popular like some of these bands, you see, because I'm not playing something that feeds the carnal. And so what they'll do is they'll have these these amazing, when I say amazing, I just mean the lights, the show, the sound, the drums, the drugs, all the other stuff that's there. Everything's present at these Christian concerts. Mosh pits, all of it. It's all there. There's no difference. And so what happens is not only do they bring these young people to these concerts, but then they'll pay homage to the secular bands that inspired them and they'll cover some of their songs. They'll play the actual secular satanic music in the Christian concert. So now they're like, who was that? He liked who? Duran Duran or da-da-da or whoever? And then they go to iTunes and download all that. And so the Christian bands are feeding the secular carnal nature within the Christian. This is a... Can anybody else see this as a problem? ay 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 Ellen White said it very clearly in 1T506. Anything will suit his... Oh, let me back. I went too far on mine. Don't, you can just back me up. Don't do that. Okay. Music is the idol which many professed Christians worship. Satan has no objection to music if he can make that a channel through which to gain access to the minds of the youth. Anything will suit his purpose that will divert the mind from God. He works through the means which will exert the strongest influence to hold the largest numbers in pleasing infatuation while they are paralyzed by his power. Bye-bye prefrontal cortex. He doesn't mean that they're paralyzed going, oh, I, I don't want to listen to this. No. Their prefrontal cortex is paralyzed and they pour in whatever they want to. So here's how it works nowadays. We pack in thousands of people and we have become really good at feeding their emotions. They feel God through the worship service. Thousands upon thousands of people now come to these worship services. And they're becoming more and more popular every day. In fact, the largest of this, these congregations is none other than the Lakewood Church with Joel Osteen. 43,500 congregants every Sunday. What they don't broadcast is the worship service before. The song service before. What they don't explain to you on that TV is that before all of that, there is a very methodical methodology to create an emotional environment through the use of music, sounds, lights, and images, manipulating the congregant into thinking they're having a Holy Spirit experience. 
It's pure manipulation. And then out he comes and says, Good morning, friends. My daddy told me that I'd be a preacher someday and I just didn't believe him. Have you bought my latest book? Because you can be successful. You can have that house you want. God wants the best for you. Write me the check first, but... A cheap prosperity gospel. That's all it is. Do I think he's a sincere guy? Yeah. Do I think that he actually believes he's doing God's will? I do. But I also believe he's deceived. In fact, I saw him on Larry King Live. Uh, after the fact, someone said, you got to watch this. And so Larry King says to him, all right, so where do you come from, Joe? I mean, where, where's your thinking on this? Some people have said that there's only one road that leads to salvation to God, and that's Jesus Christ. What do you think? Well, Larry, there are many roads that lead to God. And I went, false prophet. No, thank you. But see, friends, I can't even tell you how many Seventh-day Adventists listen to him every Sunday. Whoa, the number's ridiculous. Because he's got a message of positivity. And he wants you to be successful. Does God want you to be successful? You better believe it. Are you going to be successful by some methodology that makes you feel like you're connected with God? No way. We never want to substitute the real connection. And that's what's happening. They're creating these environments to where they feed our emotions. And we sing these songs over and over and over and over again at nauseum. We will read and sing these songs as though it were a vain repetition. And what we do is we hypnotize the brain. We hypnotize the mind. Put them in alpha. And then the preacher comes out and just goes, blah, 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 and blah, blah, in Jesus' name, amen. Everybody goes, wow, that was amazing. I felt the presence of God. It's true. If you haven't been, well, don't go. But I've been to some of these churches. I literally walk out and I just say, are, are you serious? People actually come back for this? I, I walk away starving spiritually. But I feel pretty good about myself because my ego has been fed. Interestingly enough, when you hear songs like, I exalt thee, I exalt thee, I exalt thee, oh Lord, I exalt, and over and over, <laughs> you didn't even realize you were singing a mantra, did you? I wish I had more time with you. I got a bunch of samples that we play. And while it's not bad to sing the lyric, I exalt thee, it is not profitable for the brain, it is not profitable for your emotions or for your frontal lobe to sing the same thing over and over and over and over and over again. It is self-hypnosis. Dr. Balaam, University of Utah, 
He says this, come on. The human mind shuts down after three or four repetitions of a rhythm or a melody or a harmonic progression. Ba-ba-bum. Is there anything wrong with that? Nope. How about again? Ba-ba-bum. Okay, it's all right. How about this? Ba-ba-bum. 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 How many of you want me to stop? Ba-ba-bum. Ba-ba-bum. Why? The first time the brain goes, okay, bum-bum-bum. The second time, bum-bum-bum. Oh, that's like that. Okay, the brain's still not like in, in troubles here. And then the third time, bum-bum-bum. That's the same. Bum-bum-bum. And all of a sudden it just goes, uh, 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 uh. Because there's no need to analyze anything. It's the same. Let's go to sleep. It's called alpha. Is this all making sense to you? I hope so. Furthermore, excessive repetition causes people to release control of their thoughts. Rhythmic repetition is used by people who are trying to push certain ethics in their music. So, we do not want to bring, I've had people say, well, what's wrong as Seventh-day Adventists since we have the truth? What's wrong with us using repetitious kind of music and we do put people in alpha mode and we give them the truth? What's wrong with that? You have taken the choice away. Right? There's no more will there. And now we're just dumping in the truth. Friends, God has never wants to, to convert a soul through trickery. Amen? That's why He says, come, let us reason together. It's like it flies in the face of God what's happening in the worship services today. God says, I want you to think. The devil goes, I want you to feel. Uh uh. Don't think about it, because when you think about it, you'll reject me. But when you feel what I have for you, you're going to like it, and then you'll accept me. That's how it works. (laughs) I wish I could. I wish we had a week together, friends. You know what? I'll tell you this. No, I won't. Never mind. Now, how about this photo? When you look at that, what, what comes to your mind? Consecration? What comes to your mind? What are they doing? They're praising God, right? That's what this looks like. This poor guy is like, I can't believe it. I feel him. Yay. Oh, this is so crazy. I feel you. Oh, right? <laughs> this is amazing. So we sing these songs, right? Is my audio back up, guys? 11 and 12? Yeah, okay. So we're going to have church now. Oh, yeah. We're going to worship God. Yeah. Woo! Saw the days of Elijah. Right? But daring the word of the Lord. Now, are these the days of Elijah? Amen. Did that sound like the days of Elijah? No. We should be afflicting our souls. See whether we're in the faith, preparing to meet our Lord, not having the party yet. Amen? The party's coming. Hallelujah. And I'll be going, yeah! Well, I'll be flying and everything. It'll be awesome. 
So what we do is we get the young people jacked up on this music, right? Here's the... Polyrhythmic elements. Right? I'm feeling God now, yeah. This is a worship service, man. And just in case there was any prefrontal cortex left, let's go now into a mantra, okay? Ready? There is no God like Jehovah. 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 Oh, I can't wait to come back to church. Was that amazing? Oh, I felt Jesus. He was here and I felt Him. The Holy Spirit was here. It was amazing. What did the preacher say? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Lord, forgive me. Okay, so here's the situation. Are you, are you getting a point? I do these things to drive it into your head, okay? This is what's happening. Maybe you don't go to services like this, but I can guarantee you if you're listening to the typical CCM music, you're having these kinds of experiences just on a micro level. And you can't even imagine living without that music because it makes you feel a certain way. And friends, what are you going to do at the end of time when you can't recharge your iPods? <laughs> Think about what I just said. If you are required to have some sort of music that manipulates your emotions to feel close to God, that will be removed from you someday and you're going to think you're lost. You see, this seminar, it goes deeper and deeper and deeper. We're not even into what I believe the devil's going to be doing at the end days with music. We'll talk a second about it. He's going to come as an angel of light. He's not a devil with a pitchfork and he's not grotesque. He's an amazing creature. And he'll have superpowers. He'll be able to heal the sick and make the lame walk again. Diseases that he instills, so he can even do that. And no doubt, I believe with all my heart, when he comes on this planet, and we know we're not going to go because it's going to say he's in the desert, don't go, right? Because if his feet are on this ground. But see, because we're students of the word, we understand these things. But what about the great vast Christian world that doesn't even understand that simple little thing? And when he's in that desert, probably my hometown, <laughs> and the greatest Christian artists in CCM are invited by him personally to speak at an evangelistic event to convert the world. 
You don't think he's going to use music at that time? Of course he will. And what's going to happen is all of a sudden a vast majority of God's people are going to go, see, it was Jesus the whole time. And no, it's the devil acting like Jesus, but they've tuned their ear to hear his voice. Chew on that a while. According to Rick Warren, who wrote The Purpose Driven Life and The Purpose Driven Church, by the way, what we do now is we send off our youth leaders and different leaders, we send them off to uh, these different places like um, Willow Creek and Rick Warren and all these guys to teach us how to worship God. And so what we do as the church of God, worshiping on the right day, the right way, we go to the Babylonian world and say, teach us how to worship our God. There's a problem here, friends. Here's what Rick Warren says. He goes, God likes it all. Worship has nothing to do with the style or volume or speed of a song. God loves all kinds of music because he invented it all. Fast and slow, loud and soft, old and new, you probably don't like it all, but God does. Child guidance there has been a great change, not for the better, but for the worse, in the habits and customs of God's people, of, excuse me, of the people in reverence to religious worship. The precious, the sacred things which connect us with God are fast losing their hold upon our minds and our hearts and are being brought down to the level of the common things. You think she, was, she knew what she was talking about, huh? The reverence which the people had anciently for the sanctuary, where they met with God in sacred service, has largely passed away. Nevertheless, God himself gave the order of his service, exalting it high above everything of a, a temporal nature. Friends, there will no doubt be a tremendous fallout from all of these churches because we know there's going to be the shaking, and the shaking will shake people in and people out. And so when this tremendous shaking happens, and I believe indeed it's already starting, when this tremendous fallout from these fallen ways of worshiping God, this cheap sentimentalism, this cheap emotionalism, when they're not being fed anymore, in fact, that's what they say. They go, after 20 years of this experiment, they say, we can bring them in, but we can't keep them. Because it's not feeding the soul. It's no different than being emotionally fed by a movie that's made by the world and going to church and being emotionally fed by secular-sounding music. There's no difference. And the uneducated even understand, there's nothing here for me. So they have to have these outreach and these events and all these things that they do all the time to bring more people in. Because they got to keep all those lights on. And so there's going to be a tremendous fallout. There's going to be a tremendous fallout when these faulty worship styles and practices crumble and it's truly already begun. Where would these dissatisfied souls go? Will they come to the Seventh-day Adventist church and find a difference in us? Hopefully. Amen? Will they find a difference in us in our own homes and in our own cars? Will they find the same methodologies 
Perhaps it's just a little watered down. Well, that's kind of what's going on right now. We're not fully celebration. It's just a little watered down. We're not flipping around the aisles yet. By God's grace, we as a remnant church of Christ, the remnant church of God, need to be here serious about the truth, serious about discerning between amusements and worship, serious about the gospel and not ashamed of it. We need to be a church that would be willing to be despised for the Lord's sake, for the cross's sake. Amen? We need to be different to offer that seeker an option. That seeker that needs to connect with Jesus, not a song. That soul that needs to connect with Jesus, not a, a preacher. Not a singer. Not a gimmick. Not a building. But a person. A creator. And friends, I want to be on the side that, that vindicates God's name. We need to introduce people to a Savior that can give life and not entertain them to death. This is just a quote from me. In the greater history of the church, there are screaming examples of when pagan music idols and customs were allowed into the church to build a bridge to the pagans. Unfortunately, the pagans always won over the church not the church winning over the pagans. Pagan musical tentacles have reached all the way down to our day. I hope you're like me and don't want anything pagan mixed with our worship of God. Amen. Clear, not confused or disguised. This is our last music clip and it's a medley. I wanted to illustrate that you could take one of the most beautiful hymns out there and we could alter it by putting in the wrong kind of body language. Amen? You follow what I'm saying now? And what we can do is we can undermine the message of the lyrical content by the vehicle of the music. We can undermine it. In fact, it becomes a house divided against itself. And it doesn't serve a holy purpose anymore. It serves a carnal, egotistical, or egocentric purpose. So listen to this song. It starts out fine. And it continues fine. And then it starts to go interesting. And then it returns to fine. Okay? And the question I have for you is, does the music... The way it's sung, the body language, the non-communicated part of everything, even the verbal, is it distracting you from the beauty of the lyrics, okay? Here we go. Go ahead and give me some volume.
Does that work? Still works. Not my favorite, but it still works. It works. Are you concentrating on lyrics anymore? Hey, let's, let's have a party. Ready? Listen. It's telling you where it's going to go. How great thou art. How great you are. How great you are. How about this one? Listen. Don't you ever let anybody tell you the music bed doesn't matter. Amen? Amen. You have to go to the chiropractor. <laughs> and you probably think I'm kidding. <laughs> Any chiropractors in the house? <laughs> Now, let's end with this. Please listen to these words from your prophet. A bedlam of noise shocks the senses. Did that just happen? And perverts that which, if conducted aright, might be a blessing. The powers of satanic agencies blend with the din and the noise to have a carnival. And this is termed the Holy Spirit's working. The Holy Spirit never reveals itself in such methods. Right? We can stop right there. In such a bedlam of noise. This 
is an invention of Satan to cover up his ingenious methods of making of none effect the pure, sincere, elevating, ennobling, sanctifying truth for this time. No encouragement should be given to this kind of worship. I didn't know, Christian. What do I do now? There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. God bless you. I hope I've given you a couple of things to think about. I hope I've frustrated some of you. I hope I've concerned some of you about your children, perhaps. I hope that God has caused you to think in new ways. Friends, I believe Jesus is coming oh so soon. And I want to be part of His work. How about you? I want to encourage you to disconnect from the world, to reconnect with the devil. Uh, Excuse me. It's the music. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) I want to encourage... Let me rewind. (laughs) Right? I want to encourage you to disconnect from the world. I was going to say, and disconnect from the devil. And to reconnect with Christ. You say, I am connected. Praise the Lord. Connect now. Connect now. And now. And then a minute from now. And tomorrow morning. Tomorrow afternoon. And friends, don't let the devil serenade you to death. God bless you and I love you. You'll be in my prayers. Please put me in yours. This media was brought to you by Audioverse a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.